Good morning, church. Can you hear me okay? All right. Well, it is an honor and a privilege um, to be here this morning with you all and to be able to share from God's Word with you. And uh, thank you to um, Chris and um, the worship team for leading us this morning. I really appreciated the songs and the scriptures. And um, it really is sweet to trust in Jesus, is it not? The Christian life is full, full of hope, and it's full of blessings. And all these blessings come to us not because of our own merit, not because of our, our own strength or power. They come to us solely through the blood of Jesus. They come to us solely through the grace of God, through Jesus Christ. And for, the, for those of us who have trusted in that and believed in that, it gives us great joy and we have hope. Nobody else has hope. Only the, only the Christian has hope. Only, only the one who is in Christ has hope. There's so much hope for the Christian. The gospel gives us boundless riches and boundless hope. But if you're, but if you're like me, um, you believe these things. But the joy or the confidence that you experience in them um, isn't always a constant thing. There are days where you feel full of hope, full of confidence, full of joy in your faith. And then there are maybe days or moments where um, you don't. Maybe you're more filled with fear or anxiety, or stress, or depression, or despondency. But this, this is part of what it means, as, as Chris was saying this morning, that we're all in process. This part of the Christian life, growing in this hope. And there, there are different things that can cause that wavering of joy and confidence. It could be things like stress in your life. It could be um, anxiety. It could even could be unrepentant sin. It could be an idol. Busyness. It could be temptations that you're struggling with that can cause us to wax and wane in our joy and in our hope and our confidence. But, we, but this, is, this is part of the process. But the truth is, is that whether we wax and wane, the realities of our hope, the realities of the gospel are true. Whether we feel it or not. And our passage this morning is, um, is an amazing passage, an exceptional passage of Scripture. I mean, all Scripture is, an, is exceptional. Um, but there are many who say that the book of Romans is the greatest book in the whole Bible. And there are, and for good reason. Um, 
And our passage today, specifically, the Apostle Paul is rejoicing in the hope and the blessings that come through the gospel. And so my hope this morning is that we can meditate on these together and rejoice in them together and strengthen our faith. So let's read the passage together. This is Romans 5, Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. The word of the Lord says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Amen. So this passage, as, as I was just saying, is rich with blessings. The Apostle Paul is, is praising, he's, he's rejoicing in, in the blessings and the hope that we have as Christians. Um, so let's, let's meditate on these together because often when we read a passage like that, that is just so dense with, with these amazing truths, uh, just on a quick read, it doesn't uh, always uh, hit us. Um, or strike us with the, the weight that's in that passage. Um, but just like any passage of Scripture, Scripture's not meant to just be read like any old book, just a quick once through. I, I had a uh, professor uh, give this great analogy once that Scripture, we need, it needs to be meditated on. And he used the analogy of a tea bag. He said, when, when you make tea, you don't just take the tea bag and dip it in the hot water for a second and pull it right out. Because otherwise you'd just be drinking some hinted brown water. He said the tea bag needs to be steeped in that water for a long time so that all the, the color and the flavor absorbs into that water to make tea. And it's the same way with Scripture. Scripture's not just meant to go quickly in and out. Quickly, Scripture's meant to be steeped into our hearts and our minds. And how we do that is through meditating on it taking time to think on it. And, that, and that's what we need to do this morning so that the truths in this passage sink into our hearts and minds and cause us to really have hope and joy. So we need to understand them as well as meditate on them. So what, what is Paul saying in these passages? What are these blessings and what do they mean? Well, he starts off here with this, therefore, since we have been justified by faith. Justified by faith. What, is, what does this word mean? This word justified, we hear it a lot in, in Christian circles and may have heard it explained in different ways. And honestly, it's because it's a very deep word and it has a lot of rich meaning in it. And I think it might be helpful for us to just take a quick step back and review a little bit of what the Apostle Paul has 
been saying up to this point uh, in the book of Romans, and it will help us to really understand what this word is, but also get a sense of the weight and the glory behind it. So the first thing we, we need to understand was our hopeless state apart from Christ. So if you have a Bible, I want to just quickly look at Romans chapter 1 and start in verse 18 and read verses 18 through 25. This is Romans 18 through 25, uh, 1, 18 through 25. And Paul paints for us a picture here of what our, what our state is apart from Christ. He says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so, that, uh, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. This is, a, this is um, another amazing passage of Scripture, and in it we get this, this picture of what is wrong in the world. We see this picture of God, the Creator, who created the whole world, created everything out of nothing. And if we know, we know our Bibles, we know in the book of Genesis, he created us in his image. He created humans to, to know him and have a relationship with him and to reflect his glory in the world, in our relationships to him, and our relationship to him, and our relationships with each other. But yet we see this is not the way the world is. There's, there's so many things wrong in the world. The, the list would be endless. But Paul shows us the heart of why things have gone wrong. Why have things gone wrong? Because we've turned away from our Creator, right? Even people who maybe have never been audibly told about God, Paul says that they know God because creation testifies to its Creator. So no one, no one can say that they don't know or haven't, haven't been presented evidence that there's a God. And Paul says that we've turned away from our Creator, the all-glorious creator, the, the beautiful God. We've turned away from him to other things, to lesser things, to, to created things. And we worship and serve created things instead of the creator. And this is, this is idolatry. This is evil. This is not what we were made for. And rightfully so, God turns us over to that. He has turned humanity over to, their, to our idolatry. And this, this is the state that we are in. We fail to acknowledge God. 
We live for ourselves. We live for idols. And this is the state that humanity has found themselves in. And this state is, is not just for some. If, we look, if you look with me at Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 10, Paul makes this very clear that this, that this state has affected every single person. Romans 3, starting in verse 10. He says, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one, no one understands, no one seeks for God, all have turned aside, together they have become worthless, no one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave, they use their tongues to deceive, the venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. This is the state of humanity apart from God. We've turned away from God. We failed to give him the glory that he deserves. And instead we've worshipped and served creatures created things rather than the creator, and we have condemned ourselves. This condemnation is deserving of death because the creator created us for a purpose, and we are not fulfilling that purpose. The all-glorious God deserves to be worshipped, and we're not worshipping him, and this deserves death. And Paul goes on in in these first few chapters of Romans to show us that This affects every single person. This is true of the Gentiles, which means that, you know, the non-Jewish people, which is would be all of us in this room, I I think. Right? This is true of the Gentiles. But this is also true of the Jews, the people that God chose, his chosen people, who he who he chose to redeem out of this fallen world. And he and he gave his holy and good law to these people. But even with God's holy and good law. They were still not able to be righteous before the holy God. In fact, all the law did for them was reveal their sinful state even more and their inability to achieve the righteousness of God. This was a hopeless state. This is the state that we are all in. And if we're honest with ourselves, we can feel this. We can see it in the world around us. But we can also even have seen its effects in our own lives. That this world's not right. That there's a part of us that's not right. That we, that we need to be united to our creator. We need to be back into that relationship. But thankfully, I said that <laughs> this passage was full of hope this morning. And so far, I've just been preaching condemnation. <laughs> But thankfully, this is not the end of the story. God's saving righteousness has been revealed to us. And if you would, I want to read uh, from chapter 3 again, starting in verse 21, this great, great news. But now, considering everything that we we have said, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith 
in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in the divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now, through Christ, we can be righteous before God. We were not able to do this before. We willfully turned away from God. But through Christ, God has made a way that by faith alone, we can come back to God and be reconciled to him. We can be righteous in his sight. And so I say all this to to give us an understanding of what this first blessing is we see in this passage, that we have been justified by faith. This word justification, Paul helps us to understand it as, it fundamentally is two things that we've been forgiven of our sins through the blood of Christ and that we have been counted as right before him. He makes it it very clear here as the verse we we read um, in Genesis earlier, in Genesis 15. Paul brings that up again in chapter 4. He uses Abraham as the example of faith. And he says that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And then he goes on at the end of chapter 4, right before we get into chapter 5, he goes on to say that, um, talking about Abraham, this is chapter 4, starting in verse 19, if you would like to follow along with me still. Um, He says, He did not weaken in faith when he considered his his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. I'm encouraged to share this with you this morning because in in my journey, I've personally just had trouble trying to understand what this term justification means. But hopefully you can see this morning, the Apostle Paul makes this very clear to us. Justification means that If we have put our faith in Christ, his blood has paid for our sins, we are forgiven of our sins, and our faith in Christ, in the life that God gives us in Christ, is counted to us, just as it was counted to Abraham, as righteousness. We are counted as righteous before the holy God, not because we've we've fulfilled all the works of the law, but because we have put our faith in in the Savior, in the one whose death and resurrection is our righteousness. This is the hope of the believer. This is 
This is the blessing that we have through Christ, that through faith we are forgiven and through faith we are considered right before God, the God whom, whom before we were justly condemned. And it goes on. Paul says that, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This justification means forgiveness, means counted righteous before God. But what that means now is peace, peace with God. And this is not um, talking specifically about a feeling of peace, a sense of peace, though that is an implication of it and can be an implication of it. This is talking about relational peace. We were enemies of God, but now we are at peace with God through this justification. Do you see that? We were idolaters. We had turned away from our creator. We were not living the way he had created us to live. And there was no way we could make up for that. But now through faith, we have been reconciled to God, forgiven and counted righteousness, and we are in a relationship of peace with our Heavenly Father. Think of the difference between being an enemy of God and being a child of God. We were once under God's wrath, but now we're in a relationship of love with our Heavenly Father. This is our reality that we live in as believers. We live in this loving relationship because we have faith in Christ. And this relationship, this peace doesn't go away because we're imperfect. It doesn't go away because we're imperfect people. It's a, it's a, it's a reality that is true of us now because, we, because our faith is in Christ. And this relationship comes with amazing, amazing blessings. Paul goes on to say that, he says, we've been justified by, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, verse 2, through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. So not only are we forgiven, not only are we counted as righteous, before the holy God, not only are we now in a, in a loving relationship of peace with God, but we are standing in his grace. If you are a Christian this morning, you live in a state of grace. God's disposition towards you is one of love, and what he gives you is all by grace. And because we live in this in, and we stand in this grace of God as a constant reality as the believer, this means all types of blessings for the believer. All the blessings of God come to the believer because he stands in grace because of Christ. This, this includes everything. This includes um, God's uh, giving us his Holy Spirit that illuminates his word to us. When you're reading the Bible and the Holy Spirit is illuminating the scriptures to you, it's because you're standing in grace. When God is working all things together for your good and teaching you and growing you and sanctifying you, it's because you're standing in grace. When God blesses us with all types of blessings, whether they be uh, physical, spiritual, whatever, 
when we are reaping those blessings as children of God, it's because we're standing in grace. This is the reality that we, we live in as believers. And it's, even, and it's even better than this. The list goes on. Not only because we have faith in Christ, are we forgiven? Are we counted as righteous? Are we now reconciled to our creator in a relationship of love and peace that is, that is full of grace and all of grace that gives us all the blessings that we have as believers? But Paul goes on to say, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. The Christian has all of these blessings that I, that I just listed off and expounded upon. But in, in, on top of all of this, the Christian's hope is not just in this life only. In fact, even more so, the Christian's life is in the future. Right? The Christian has hope in this life. We're the only ones who have hope. And our hope is in the glory of God. What does this phrase mean, the, the glory of God? Well, it, it means a lot. But I think, I think what he's talking about here is that one day we will be with God in his kingdom forever. And we will be conformed fully to the image of Christ. Now we struggle with the weakness of our flesh. Now we struggle with sin and, and, and suffering in the world around us. But one day that'll be no more. One day Christ will come again. And all evil will be put away. And we'll be given new bodies, glorified bodies. And we will live with God forever, free from sin. It's hard, to, it's, it's hard and maybe even incomprehensible for us to understand or to even imagine what that means. To live a life free from sin. Physically, spiritually. To have no more fear, to have no more struggle, to have no more selfishness in our hearts, and to be with our Creator. This is the hope. This is the hope that we have as Christians, and it's a sure hope, and we rejoice in it. And we can rejoice in it. But Paul is really um, keen here to kind of shift um, the conversation a little bit as he's praising God, as he's, as he's rejoicing in God, I mean, for all these blessings and all the rich hope that we have as believers, he also brings up suffering. It's an interesting time to bring up suffering, but it makes, it makes sense because you can almost imagine maybe um, people reading this, and maybe some of you here are imagining this as you're, as you're hearing me expound on all these blessings and all this hope, and to say things like, you know, Derek, or, you know, Paul, that, that sounds great, but presently, I don't feel like I'm experiencing that. Presently, life is really hard. Presently, I'm suffering. Well, Paul doesn't um, claim that, Paul doesn't claim a view of the Christian life that's void of suffering. And in fact, neither do any of the writers of Scripture. The Christian life is, is, involves suffering. It involves trials. And Paul's not saying that these trials um, aren't hard or difficult. And he, 
He's not saying that we should rejoice in the, in, um, in the fact that we are feeling pain and suffering. When he says, let me read the verse. I, I haven't actually re- read it yet. Uh, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, right? So Paul is not saying that, hey, you should just be happy that you're suffering, right? Sufferings really do have pain. They really do um, harm us in, in ways. In fact, suffering can even um, shake us to our core. It can uproot our whole life. It, it can... It can have the, just the utmost effects on a person. It can bring, bring grief and mourning and sadness. Paul, Paul's not saying that, that those things aren't true, and nor is he saying that we shouldn't experience those things. It can be good to grieve. It can be good to be sad. It can be good to long for relief from your sufferings. And there are all types of, of sufferings that we experience. And, and Paul is, in, I believe, including here all manner of sufferings, not just particular ones. Any suffering that we can face as a Christian in this life, whether that be external or internal sufferings. Whether it be something on the outside that someone's doing to you or has done to you, or, whether, or, or something you're going through, or whether it be on the inside, maybe stress or a mental illness or, or any, anything. But what Paul is saying here, which is very interesting, is he's saying that we rejoice in those sufferings. He's not saying that we, we rejoice in other things through the sufferings, though that is true. But he's, he, literally, he literally is saying we rejoice in our sufferings. How could he say that? Well, he goes on to show us this, this beautiful progression here, right? He tells us that, that God is doing something through these sufferings. Suffering, he says, produces perseverance. When, when a Christian who has faith in Christ suffers, they, and if they have the right attitude in their suffering, an attitude of faith towards God, an attitude of hope towards God, an attitude of love towards God and others, right? As they experience that suffering, though it is hard and though it comes with all the, all the feelings, all the emotions and all the baggage that suffering comes with, that suffering does something in their life as they continue through it. As they walk through that suffering, choosing to trust God instead of trusting in themselves, choosing to persevere in love instead of selfishness, choosing to, to put their hope in God instead of in something else or running to some other thing or person or pleasure or comfort. And the Christian perseveres. I mean, when the Christian goes through that suffering, it creates that perseverance. It creates that um, dictativeness that a person can have as they go through these trials. And, and, and that's called perseverance. They persevere through those sufferings. And Paul says that that produces character. When, you, when, a, when a believer goes through those trials and they're persevering and they're continuing in that, in faith that looks to God and hope that's hoping that God is good, even though it doesn't seem good in this moment. And that they have hope when they're persevering in that, when they're, when they're choosing that, 
faith and choosing that love, it creates in them a character. It becomes habitual in a sense. It, it, it grows them in those very things that they're striving for. It grows us in faith. It grows us in hope. It grows us in love as we persevere. And then Paul says that character produces hope. So it almost seems circular in a sense. We have this hope, even in our sufferings. If we continue in it in our sufferings, we persevere, we grow, we get strengthened in that way. And then we start to grow more in godliness and godly character. And that actually increases our hope. It's interesting. And if you were resonating with me at the, at the beginning of this message when I was talking about how we, even I, I have struggled with my waxing and waning and my joy and my confidence and my faith. If you've resonated with that and all in this room, I want to share something with you. That one of the ways God cures us of that, grows us in those areas, is through suffering. Through the trials that we are experiencing, whatever they may be, when we persevere in those things, God is actually growing us in our faith and growing us in our hope. And so I want to encourage all of us or any of you who uh, resonate with that to press into the Lord, press into him, press into trust, press into that submission, press into that, that hope that we have and, and persevere. Seek the Lord. Ask him to grow you. Press into those trials. Pray that he would create in you. um, Pray that he would create in us character. Character that responds to trials and tests with patience, kindness, faith, and love. A character that responds to anxiety with trust and a calmed and quieted soul. A character that bears with others. A character that seeks the good of others and the glory of God, even when it's painful. A character that hopes in God, even when he's suffering. A character that goes to God, even when they're lonely. A character that has hope. A character that perseveres in hope. And that's what God does. And Paul... um, after, after showing us this progression here, that suffering produces um, these, this, this growth in us, he goes on to say that our hope, our hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So the Christian life is full of blessings and it's full of hope. But fundamentally, what what is it that what is the what is the assurance of that hope? Fundamentally, when it comes down to it. How do we know that when we get to the end, that when it's all said and done, how do we know? That when, when, when Christ comes again to judge the world, how do we know that we are going to be with him? How do we know that we're not going to be on the negative side of that judgment? 
which is what Paul is saying here when he says, we know that our hope will not put us to shame. That's what he's talking about there. The shame would be the shame of judgment. That, that when the end comes, that Christ will judge us as sinful or as idolaters. That we wouldn't hear that phrase, well done and good and faithful servant, but that we'd hear, go away from me, I never knew you. How do we know? What is, the, what is the fundamental foundation of our hope that when the judgment comes, we will not be put to shame? And Paul says this amazing thing here. He says it's because the love of God has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This love of God is God's love. It's the love that he has shown us. He's given us his Holy Spirit, and one of the works of the Holy Spirit is illuminating that to us, revealing that to us, and giving us that sense of assurance that God loves me. He loves me. And I want to read with you the following verses here. I want to read verses 6 and following here. Because 6 through 10, because this, I think, elaborates on this point that Paul is making. And these are beautiful, beautiful verses. So please, if you would, if you have your Bible, look at these with me. We'll, we'll close with these. Paul, I think, is elaborating here on the love of God as he's saying this is being, this is being poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Verse 6, he says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. I, I want to just elaborate on that for you because these verses are so amazing. What, what Paul is saying us here is, is that God demonstrated his love to us in this way. If you're, if you're like me, you've struggled with, with being convinced that God loves you, with, with feeling that God loves you. Some people struggle with that, some people don't. But if you're like me in that way, meditate on these verses with me. The Apostle Paul, God spoke to us. It's written down right here. God demonstrates his love for us in this way, that while we were yet sinners, while we were sinners, while we were at our worst, while we were like what we read in Romans chapter 1, turned away from God, worshiping idols, while we were deserving of death and condemnation, not while we were at our best, not when we had our perfect day, not when we had the perfect devotion time or when everything's gone right for us, not in that moment, but when we were at our worst, Christ died for us. He died for us. He gave his life for us. This is the demonstration. This is God showing us his love for us. This is how he declares his love for us. And then he goes on to say now, he makes a comparison between, it's called, a, you could say it's a, 
kind of like a greater than and less than comparison. Basically, he goes on to say, if I could put it in my own words, if, um, if Mark here gifted me a million dollars, he was that generous to me. I mean, Mark's, Mark's a pretty well-to-do guy. He's probably got a million bucks. I don't know. But if Mark, if Mark gifted me, was generous enough to give me a million dollars, why would I not think that if I was short a buck one day that I could ask him for a dollar, right? It's like a greater than to less than thing. If this great thing is true, how much more this little thing? And that's what Paul is doing here in this passage when he goes on to say, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood. His blood. If the Son of God shed his blood for us while we were sinners to reconcile us to God the Father, much more now shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. And he does it again in another way. Verse 10, for if while we were enemies, enemies of God, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. If when you were an enemy of God, God gave the life of his only begotten son to reconcile you. That's the greater. How much more than now that we have been reconciled, that we're in this relationship of peace and love with God, how much more then shall we be saved by his life? Christ died for us while we were enemies. He gave his life for us. He shed his blood for us. And now he's alive. He's been risen from the grave. He's seated at the right hand of God, interceding for us, praying for us. How much more should we not be confident that when that day comes, he won't save us? His love for us in the past gives us confidence and hope for our future, does it not? Does it not? And I feel like every believer in here, myself included, deep down knows that the reason we have any sort of hope and confidence for the future is because God has loved us. He loves us. This is our hope. This is the blessings we have as a Christian. And Paul is, is just rejoicing in them. And we can rejoice in them. We can rejoice in them now. We can rejoice in them even in our sufferings. Because even our sufferings are being used to bring us closer and closer and closer to that hope. So I don't, I don't know where you guys are individually this morning. I think some of us here are probably confident and rejoicing in that hope. And if that's you, I just want to encourage you Keep pressing on. Keep pressing in and grow more and more in that hope. And there may be somebody here in this room who has never known that hope and has never trusted in that hope. And if that's you this morning, I just want to say there's nothing stopping you. There's nothing stopping you from walking into God's open door. God demonstrated his love for us while we were sinners. God loves sinners. And all you have to do is put your faith in him to receive all of these blessings. And lastly, I just want to speak to anybody who has maybe struggled like me here in this room. Where you have faith, you trust in it, but you waver in your confidence and your joy in it for whatever reasons. I just want to encourage you this morning to press into the Lord, press into your faith, seek him, persevere in the trials and the sufferings. He'll grow you, he'll grow you in that.
Would you guys pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, thank you so much um, for this, all the amazing realities that your word shows us. And Lord, what a privilege it is for me to be here, to just be able to share the hope, to share the blessings, to share the good news of what you have done and what you offer us, and to, to try to paint a, a, a little picture here of what the life of faith looks like, the hope that we have. Lord, I pray for all of us here. Would you, would you, please, would you please strengthen us, Lord? Would you please strengthen us in our faith, strengthen our hope? Lord, we want to be people who are confident in the hope of our, of our justification, the hope of the blessing of our forgiveness, the blessing of our peace with you and the relationship we have with you. We want to be confident in the hope of our eternal life with you. We want to be people who persevere in this hope, who have that character of faith and hope built into, the, into us, Lord. And we want to grow in it. Lord, would you please, by your Holy Spirit, will you pour your love in our hearts more and more today, this week? Would you help us to know it more and to live in light of it more? Father, we can only do this by your grace. I pray this for our church. I pray this for all of us. In Jesus' name, amen.